And I want to talk to you today about overcoming insecurity. Overcoming insecurity. It's a battle that I'm currently in. And I'm, the Lord is showing me some things. And I'm overcoming insecurity. It's a daily uh, battle. It's, it's something that uh, I don't know that I'll ever have in this life total and complete victory. But I hope I do. I, I believe I can. But I know for me right now, it's a, it's a daily battle. So I want to talk to you about some ways that God's really shown me how how we can overcome and defeat insecurity in our lives. Jeremiah chapter one, and the Bible says, I'm gonna start in verse four. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says this, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, this is Jeremiah talking back to God. And he says, oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this incredible opportunity we have to come together today, to gather under the name of Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship that name that's above every other name. At that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we thank you that we're here today under that name. Let that name give us peace and strength and security as we hear your word, as we go through your word, as we examine our lives in light of your word and change us forever from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said Amen. Amen. Overcoming insecurity. You know, uh, the first time I ever preached, I was 19 years old. And I was asked to speak by our youth pastor, uh, Chris Fortner at the time. And I don't know why he asked me to speak, but he, he, he must have seen something in me that at the time I did not really see in myself. Um, a lot of people assumed, I think, that because I was the pastor's kid that I was probably going to do something like this, but if you knew me and you were close to me, you knew that I was running as far away from this as I possibly could run. As a matter of fact, I was trying to leave the state. I was trying to move away from home, and God really got a hold of my life in a personal encounter, and because of that, I I stayed home instead of moving away, and then after that, um, I asked Monica to marry me, and then while we were engaged, I was asked to, to preach my first sermon. I'll never forget the days leading up to that, because I don't think I had ever felt uh, more insecure in my entire life. Um, everything that I had ever done in life was kind of in my wheelhouse. So I was, I was confident because I knew I could do it. So now I'm being asked to do something that I'm not very familiar with. I'm being asked to do something that at the time I honestly despise. I don't want anything to do with, but because... Um, I grew up in God's house, and I obey my leaders, and I do what I'm told. I'm like, yes, sir, I'll preach on Sunday night at our youth service. So we get together, and I just remember the whole time I was talking, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what are they thinking? And I remember looking at their faces, and I remember looking at some of the young people in the crowd and thinking, while I'm talking, like, they don't want to hear a word I'm saying right now. They don't believe any of this. <laughs> They're not listening to anything I'm saying. And I remember that it was being recorded, and I, it was being recorded because 
I didn't want my dad in the room, but my dad wanted to hear my message. And so they're recording it. And so I'm thinking while I'm, while I'm speaking, what's my dad going to say about this? How's he going to feel? Is he going to like my, 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 my three points? I talked, about, I talked about storing up treasure in heaven. I had no idea what I was talking about. As a matter of fact, that tape, it's, it's still alive. But I can promise you, you will never find it. You will never hear it. You will never hear it. Um, but yeah, those, those feelings of just of insecurity of I'm not enough. I'm like Jeremiah. I felt like I'm too young. What do I have to say? Why would any, and even though I'm talking to young people, I'm like, why would they listen to me? I'm, I'm the one who starts all the trouble. Why would they listen to me about anything that's got to do anything with, with the Bible? And so I remember those, those feelings of insecurity. So when I read this, it, it hits home because I think every person in this room has, has either moments of, of insecurity or you live with, with insecurity. It's a very big part of your life. And the thing about insecurity is it doesn't show up with a big sign on its you know, face saying, hey, I'm insecurity. Insecurity shows up in a lot of other ways. Insecurity shows up looking like fear or jealousy or competitiveness or sensitivity it's clingy. Don't look at your neighbor right now when I say it's clingy. You don't. It's clingy. It's, it's sarcastic. It's, it's obsessed with the opinions of other people. It's arrogant. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it, that insecurity could show itself in arrogance? Because really, arrogance is insecurity dressed up like confidence. It's, it's insecurity. It, it never says, hey, I'm insecurity. No, it's, it's fear. It's it's sarcasm, it's, it's competitiveness, it's, it's ultra-sensitivity, it's, it's sarcasm, it's, and, it's, and it's destructive. It's destructive. Right now, it's ruining relationships. Insecurity is the reason that King Saul lost his entire kingdom. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18 that he heard some women singing a song praising David more than him. And the Bible says that from that point on, he had a jealous eye on David. And that began his downfall. He lost everything because he was, he was insecure. He lost it all because he was insecure. Insecurity destroys relationships because what insecurity does to the people that you're in relationship with, it makes them overcompensate for your low view of you. So now they're running around having to be more and do more than they're capable of being and doing because you have such a low view of you. They're constantly having to tell you that you're more than you think you are and they're having to overcompensate and even lie to you. Does this make me look fat? No, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Do I look pretty? Oh my gosh, I've never seen you prettier. What is you? Like me, love me. Like my post. Comment on my post. Does it drive you wild when people comment but they don't like your post? Like you comment on my post but you don't like my post? We don't post because we think we look good. We post so that others will tell us we look good. Otherwise, Instagram would not have the heart and the circle. So that we can like it and comment on it. Insecurity. Insecurity. And insecurity is not, see the problem with insecurity is insecurity is not just a feeling. 
Insecurity is a disposition. Insecurity is a position you take in life and it frames the world that you live in. It frames the way you see people. It frames the way you interact with your friends and your your neighbors. It frames the way you you talk to people. It frames the way you you live your life. It frames the way you dress. It frames the way you think. It's framing your world. It's not just a feeling. And so you have to deal with insecurity because insecurity is actually making the world you live in right now. The world you live in right now and the interactions that you have with people It's the result of insecurity. (laughs) And so when God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, I called you. I ordained you. Before you were born, I knew you. I, I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah looks at God and he says, I'm too young and I'm too inexperienced. God immediately, he doesn't, he doesn't overlook it. God immediately says, don't say that. Don't say that. He doesn't go, hey, Jeremiah, that's not true. He doesn't go, Jeremiah, no, no, no. You've got a lot of experience. No, 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 you're, you're just young at heart, but you're an old soul, Jeremiah. He doesn't try to comfort him with his accolades. He doesn't try to comfort Jeremiah with his resume. Why? Because very often our insecurities are rooted in something that is true about us. And so God doesn't say, no, that's not true. God says, don't say that. You got to hear me this morning because there are a lot of things that, see, see, Christianity is not you trying to prove that the things that are true about you are not true. It's not you trying to prove, hey, you know, I'm not a failure. I'm not a loser. I'm not too young. I'm not too old. I'm not too inexperienced. I'm not broken. I'm not hurting. I'm not bitter. I'm not offended. It's not trying to prove that you're not. It's coming to grips with the truth of what you really are. But realizing that the danger of that is not in what I am, but it's in saying it. He said, don't say it. He didn't say it wasn't true because it was true. Jeremiah was young and he had no experience. And for some of us in the room today, yes, it's true you're broken. Yes, it's true you're bitter. Yes, it's true you're hurting. Yes, it's true you're uneducated. Yes, it's true you you don't have the experience. Yes, it's you're too young. Yes, it's true you are too old. But with men, some things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. To him that believes. It's not about reframing your life or the truth about your life. It's reframing your view of God in spite of who you are. It's recognizing, yeah, I'm broken. Yeah, I'm too young. Yeah, I'm too old. Yeah, I'm too heavy. Yeah, I'm too thin. Yeah, I'm too short. Maybe I'm too tall. But you know what? None of that matters because God is going to put his words in my mouth. Even if I don't know how to talk, I'm not going to be saying my words anyway. 
I wish somebody in this room would get a glimpse that your limitations are yours. They're not God's. That might be true about you, but it's not true about God. So God says, don't say that. Because the only thing that limits you is you. When I, when I give my life to God and I say yes to the call of God, my limitations become his limitations. And he's not limited. So there are going to be a lot of factors about me that say that can't happen. But I'm not limited by my limitations. Too young doesn't matter to God. Too old doesn't matter to God. Too broken doesn't matter to God. Too many divorces doesn't matter to God. Too many kids out of wedlock doesn't matter to God. Too many diseases doesn't matter to God. Too many STDs doesn't matter to God. Too many tattoos doesn't matter to God. Too much blue hair doesn't matter to God. No hair doesn't matter to God. Too short doesn't matter to God, obviously. I never hit six foot. Here I am. Too tall, so tall that you can't even walk through normal doors, doesn't matter to God. Too skinny, doesn't matter to God. Too fat, doesn't matter to God. Ugly, doesn't matter to God. Beautiful, doesn't matter to God. See, all of those things might be true according to the world, but it doesn't matter what the world thinks. And God says, don't say that. Why? Because it doesn't even matter what you think. God is not interested in your opinion of you. So when he calls you and you say, but I'm, but I'm, he's not interested in that. So he looks at us and he says, don't say that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that when you come into my life, you remove the limitations from my life. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince people that I'm smart. I'm not trying to convince people that I'm whole. I'm not trying to convince people that I deserve this. I'm not trying to convince people that, that I've got what it takes. I'm not trying to convince people that I'm, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm mature. I'm not trying to convince people that I've... Because God got involved. And when God gets involved... My potential changes. My limitations change. Everything about me changes. So insecurity, those things about me that I'm insecure about, God says, don't say that. God, I got a criminal record. Don't say it. How could you use me? Same way I used Moses. He had, he had a criminal record. As a matter of fact, a lot of the people I use had criminal records. Don't say it. Man, that's encouraging to me. Here's the thing about calling. Calling, watch this. 
Calling is not really about discovering who you are. It's about discovering who he is. So much of life, we spend it trying to find me. Trying to discover me. I'm trying to get to know me. No, you already know you. And you're jacked up. (laughs) That's why the apostle went ahead and said, there's no good in me. The same search you've gone on to find something good in me, he said, I, I, I did that search. There's nothing good in me. If there's anything good that you see in me, it's not of me. It's because I found him. Woo! I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm tell- you're wasting your time if you're trying to discover something good and redeemable about you. <laughs> I'm looking for it, God. I, I, I'm looking for it. Well, I... I I, I, I don't steal God, but man, if I look really deep, I covet. Oh, God, I, I, haven't, I haven't murdered anybody, but if I look really deep, oh, I, if you give me the right opportunity and we can hide the body. There's nothing good in us. Nothing redeemable. In us. The only good in us is Him. And that's what God is trying to get across to you and I today. So He says, He says, Don't say that. Because if I know Him, then I'll know me. Because who I am now in Christ is not defined by who I was. Who I am in Christ is defined by who He is. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. The only hope I have for glory is Christ in me. Come on, man. So he says, don't say that. And then he, and then he says, and then, and then on top of that, don't look at their faces and be afraid. This is what God's saying to us this morning. I don't care what you think about you, and I don't care what they think about you. This is so good, man. He says, you have to stop saying what you think about you and you have to stop worrying about what they think about you. What someone else thinks about you is none of your business. What is God getting to in Jeremiah and all of us? That our insecurity is really rooted in the fear of man. It's rooted in the fear of man. And the fear of man is a real thing. Why? Because the desire for approval that you and I have is a very real thing. Each of us instinctively knows that who we are and what we are worth are things that we don't define for ourselves. We don't define that for ourselves, we didn't create ourselves. We didn't choose ourselves. We didn't choose our DNA structure. We didn't choose our intellect. We didn't choose our physical features. We didn't choose our family. We didn't choose our culture. And something instinctively in us knows that we are not autonomous and sovereign to ourselves. But we are contingent beings. We... we, 
We were made by someone who is greater than us, who, who gives us our value and gives us our worth and gives us our DNA and gives us our physical features and gives us our intellect and gives us our family and gives us and puts us in the culture that we, are, we, we recognize that. And because all of us knows that our existence fits into a larger purpose and story, we know it's impossible for us to create our own meaning. And even though we try to and we fail, we keep trying. And, and because we can't create our own meaning, because one of the greatest questions people have in life is, why am I here? What am I even on this planet for? We go looking for it in stuff. And we go looking for it in people. And very often, we let the people with the most authority in our lives define this for us. And very often those same people are not very good people. So you have a low view of your meaning and your purpose and your reasoning. Because the people that had authority in your life gave you a low meaning of your purpose and your, your value and your reason for living and being. It's the fear of man. And if, you, if you're not careful, you'll spend a lot of your life trying to run from that part of you that wants approval. And you'll say stuff like, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to approve of me. I don't need anybody to like me. I don't need anybody to love me. I'm fine by myself. When God knows you weren't created to live with that type of bitter mentality. But because you've been so disappointed by every person that you've allowed to define you, you stop acting like you need people. And this is the result of the fear of man. What will they think? What will they say? How will they look at me? What will they think about me? So the answer, the cure for the fear of men, the cure for not saying what is true about us, the cure for not looking in their faces and being afraid of their, their faces is the fear of God. I have to fear God more than I fear man. Why? Because no human being was created to satisfy my deep desire for approval. Do you realize that if, that if, that if you don't recognize this about yourself, there will be so much dysfunction in your life. If, if you don't recognize that in you is something that God put there, a desire for approval, a desire to feel like you have value. It's why when you hit a home run, you're not just satisfied with hitting a home run, but you look in the stands to see who was watching. It's why when you sing a song at, at school, and you're singing with all of your buddies, and you're in the fourth grade, and you and your buddies are, are giggling and, and laughing and all of that. It's why when you're singing, you look out to see, did my parents see what I just did? Are my parents watching? Is somebody who, who I, who, who's supposed to love me, or are they watching me? We're addicted to approval. We live off of approval. But the problem is, is when we get our main source of approval from people and not from God. So God says, don't say that and don't worry about their faces. Don't worry about it. 
Because if you live for their approval, you'll die from the lack of it. If, if, if compliments get into your head, then the lack of compliments will get into your heart. And here's the thing about people's approval. People's approval is based on your activity. God's approval is based on his son's finished work on the cross. So with people, you will never satisfy them and they will never satisfy you. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and 25, it says the fear of man is a snare. And every snare, it's a trap. Every trap is never just out in the open. It's always covered up by something that the animal wants. So it's teaching you and I something about sin. Sin never shows up as sin. Sin shows up as everything you ever wanted. And so you fall for it because it's the approval you were looking for. You fall for it because you need relationships so bad that you just take anybody. You fall for it because you, you need money so bad that you'll just take anything. Take any job. It's a snare. It promises you everything you ever wanted only to realize that everything you ever wanted was not what you really needed. And you get the relationship only to realize, ooh, that was a bear trap. God is trying to help us overcome the fear of man. The only way to overcome the fear of man is the fear of God. If you are trapped right now in insecurity, the fear of, the fear of what people may say, the fear of what people will think, it's probably because to you God is small, God is harmless, God is peripheral to your life. For many people who serve God, God is on the outside kind of looking in. And he's there if we need help, and he's just kind of like observing our life. But he's not the center and the source of our life. And what happens when we don't put God at the center of our life, we put someone else at the center of our life. Because again, we cannot define meaning on our own. So we look for someone else to do it. And so we'll always put somebody, if we don't put God there, we'll always put somebody who doesn't belong there. Some of you thought that when you found the one, that every desire in your heart would be satisfied only to realize that that person is a human and they were not created to fill a void that only God fills. So you get married and you're still wanting. You get the promotion and you're still wanting. You get six figures and you're still wanting. You get the new car and you're, you're still wanting. You get the bigger house and you're still wanting. Because until God is big and they are small, their words 
their, their indifference, their disapproval, their disappointment, their anger will always control you until God becomes bigger than them. Now, it's a fact. God is bigger than them already. But the way you receive from God is not how he is. It's how you perceive him to be. So I have to see, I have to put God in his proper place for me to see life in its proper perspective. And so if I put God in the center of my life and I make him bigger than every obstacle in my life and I make him bigger than every person in my life and I make his approval the only thing that I'm living from and not living for. By the way, as a follower of Jesus, you are not living for God's approval. You are living from a place of God's approval. With people, you are living for their approval. Your behavior determines their approval. But with God, your behavior is not determining his approval. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has forever settled the way God sees you, views you, looks at you, and accepts you. (laughs) But for some people, he's small, he's harmless, he's peripheral, he's... And so other people's expectations, they corner us. Other people's disappointment crushes us. Their anger ruins us. We're enslaved by fear. It makes us insecure. And the only cure is that God has to be bigger, bigger than their expectations, bigger than their disappointments, bigger than their anger. God has to be big enough to fear. And the thing about the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord doesn't produce the same thing that the fear of man produces. The fear of man produces anxiety. The fear of God produces peace. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares about you. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 31, the Bible says that when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God, And he displayed it against the Egyptians. It says the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. As a follower of Jesus, I'm not not afraid of God because of what he's going to do to me. I know what he's going to do to me. He's going to receive me with open arms. Heaven is my home now. I'm not trying to make heaven my home. Heaven is my, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Heaven is already my home. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee and the seal that can't be broken. So I'm going to heaven. I know how God feels about me. There's a fear that comes on me because of how God feels about my enemies. They said when they saw what the Lord did to their enemies, they feared him. And they put their confidence in him. The fear of the Lord doesn't produce anxiety. It produces peace because I know what God does with my enemies. (laughs) Weapons that are formed against me will not prosper. Tongues that rise up against me, he will condemn. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says he'll raise up a standard against it. When the waters try to overtake me, he says, I won't drown. When the fire tries to consume me, he says, I won't be consumed. No wonder the psalmist says, 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no COVID. I will fear no election. <laughs> because why? Because he is with me. And if God is leading me, why should I be afraid of anything that's in front of me? So I don't, don't say it. I'm, don't say it. Don't look at their faces. Why? Because the fear of the Lord, it, it doesn't make you insecure. It makes you wise. Proverbs 9 and 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. The fear of God doesn't make me nervous. It makes me bold. It doesn't make me afraid. It removes my fears. 1 John 4 and 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. If there, if there is any believer in here today and you're still afraid of God in the idea of God's going to punish me, but you've put your faith in Jesus and you're still saying God's going to punish me. No, he, Jesus was punished for your sins and my sins. He's not going to punish you. If you feel that way, it's because you haven't let the perfect love of God love you. Because the perfect love of God drives out that fear. That fear that I'll be condemned. That fear that I'll be rejected. That fear that I'll go to hell. That should be gone in your life. Because his love drives out fear. Proverbs 14 and 27 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Oh, man. Isaiah 8, 13 through 14 says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary. The fear of the Lord. Listen, when he is our greatest fear, he becomes our safest place. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run in... And they are safe. But Robbie says righteous. Yeah, exactly. I'm not righteous by my good works. I'm righteous because he has given his righteousness to me as a free gift because of what he accomplished for me. And so no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter where I went last night, I can run in to the name of the Lord. And his name is a place of safety. It's a place of security. It's a place where the weak can say, I am strong. Where the poor can say, I am rich. Come on, stand on your feet today. If you want to say, God, I'm not going to be afraid of men. I'm not going to look at their faces in fear, but I'm going, to, I'm going to put my fear, I'm going to put my trust in the place it needs to be. I'm going to put that in, in you, Lord. Remember, remember, we just said it. The psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. This is a powerful statement because it's telling us that whatever we deal with, whatever's trying to scare us, it's just shadows. It's just shadows. I don't even have to be afraid of death because Jesus has already gone before me and conquered death. Death is just a shadow. It has no power. That's why the Bible says, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? It's been swallowed up. It's a shadow. We're living in a day of shadows. 
couple days ago, the president tested positive for COVID-19. And it was time, it was time for the shadows. I remember watching my television for 20 minutes. Like they, they landed that helicopter and they were saying they were going to transfer him to Walter Reed. I'm sitting there looking at the television. I'm like, is he going to come out in a wheelchair? Is he going to be on oxygen? Is he going to be walking? And this, this fear crept up because they're scaring you and me, the media, with shadows. The media wants nothing more than him to struggle with this sickness because it makes all the shadows they've been telling you to run from And that's all they have, shadows. All they have is what if. What if he goes, what if he has, what if he, what if, 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 what if. The, they start telling you all the amendments. They start going through the, the, the line of succession, like it's, it's Mike Pence, and then it's, and then it's this guy, and then it's like, and then you start to discover, like, why are these people becoming president that we didn't even vote for? And now you're scared. And then it's like, if he can get it, you can get it. <laughs> Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's all it is right now. With the uncertainty and all of the, the, the stuff we, we don't know and all of the things that could be and all of the what ifs. What if, what if, what if that, what if? It's just a shadow. Jesus deals with the figure that makes the shadow. That's why the Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just a shadow. Jesus has already dealt with the figure that made the shadow. You're not afraid of my shadow unless you're a toddler. Like my shadow can't do any damage to you if my shadow punched you right now. Couldn't hurt you. And we're running from shadows, church. We're scared of shadows. Jesus has already dealt with sickness. Jesus has already dealt with death. Why are you afraid of their shadow? Well, well, well people, people have died. Yeah, people have died. And the people that have died and been saved, guess what happened to them? They're not dead anymore. They're in heaven. So if you want to get rid of your fear of death, give your life to Jesus today. And even if COVID takes you, which you have a lot better chance of probably falling out of your bed and dying than dying of COVID right now, especially if you're young. But even if it does, death is a shadow. It's already been defeated. You close your eyes here, you wake up in eternity. And you have to look at COVID and say, you lost. You thought you won, but you lost. Deuces. I'm telling you, church, don't give in to the fear. The fear of man. Fear God. Trust God. Believe God. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person in this room. Every person who has real, real fears, real anxiety, 
real insecurity, real brokenness. And I'm asking you, Lord, today, that before they leave this room, that they would sense an overwhelming presence of God in their situation. Maybe right now in this room, you could throw your hands up in the air. When you throw your hands up in the air, it's just a big yield sign that says, God, I'm yielding to you. I'm yielding to your presence. I'm yielding to your power. I'm yielding to your way. And maybe today, maybe you could say these words with me. Maybe you could say this, I will fear no evil. Say it again. I will fear no evil. Come on, say it with some passion. I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me. Say that. Come on, say, because the Lord is with me. Say that, because the Lord is with me. Come on, shout it out. The Lord is with me. Come on, if you believe that God is with you and if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. Put your hands together and bless him right now. God, you are, you are with us. You are with us on the mountain and you are with us in the valley. You are with us when we're healthy. You are with us when we're sick. You are with us when we're whole and you are with us when we're broken. You are with us. So we will not fear. We will not be afraid. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Come on, I feel better being in the presence of Lord. I feel better being in the house of God. How many of you feel better that you've been in God's house today? You feel strengthened. You feel encouraged. You feel new hope. I feel that, and I'm thankful for that. Today, if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to meet you and pray with you up front. If not, God bless you, and thank you for